Amen. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Micah. This is my first time preaching out of the book of Micah. As a matter of fact, I believe that it is the first time that I preached from the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophet, prophets in the Old Testament. And they're not necessarily minor due to their significance. They're called minor prophets because of the length of the books in which they write. And also the scope is somewhat narrowed down to a particular people. But Micah extends himself outward. Micah is a prophet of the Lord that prophesied to the nation of Judah and Samaria. And he had one prevailing thought in his the entire book. And that was the repentance of the people, the people of Judah to repent. This was his desire. Because just like most of the prophets you find in Micah, that he pronounces judgment on Judah. But he also gives them hope that God is going to bring them through this. And understand that there's some things that we must go through as people, as human beings. And yes, even as saved individuals. Because there's some things that God is trying to work out of us. And he's trying to bring us to a stronger faith in him, a stronger trust in him. And most time that comes through our trials and our tribulations, our difficulties. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Micah, the sixth chapter. We're going to look at just one verse. According to some scholars, perhaps one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. Micah, the sixth chapter, verse number 80 says, And he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me read that one more time. And he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Take for a title this morning, what does God require? And what are you prepared to give? God is a righteous and a holy God. And what God really requires of us is a holy and a righteous lifestyle. Micah takes this opportunity to write to the nation of Judah, who being a slight bit better than the northern kingdom of Israel, 
However, Judah had its problems. They were going through an economic boom at this time. At least the wealthy were. They were making money hand over fist. They were taking in more money than they could have you know, time to spend it all. The problem of the matter is that they were doing it at the expense of the poor. They were stepping on people. They were neglecting the poor, the disadvantaged. They didn't take care of those who were impoverished. There was no welfare system set up for any of them. They had taken everything that the people had to give and left them with nothing. Talking about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Because the reality of it is that we're living in similar times right now. The Eli Musk, the Jeff Bezos of the world, have more money than they know what to do with. And yet we have people who are starving, people who are without. People don't know, that don't know where their next meal is coming from. The reality of the matter is that, that we far, find too much time trying to find fault with the homeless. Find a reason why they're in the condition that they're in when we should spend more time feeding them and giving them an opportunity to come out of it. Most, most, most of the people that you see out there that is homeless are not there by choice. They have a reason why. But in our busyness that we don't really take enough time to sit down and to find out how can we really be a blessing? How can we help them out? Because most times we're not really interested in helping them out. And so therefore we're just like the people of Judah. Because regardless of what you do, you can point fingers at Jeff Bezos with his $200 billion. You can point fingers at Elon Musk with his 200 plus billion dollars. But understand that you have far more than a whole lot of folk out there in your own pocketbook, in your own wallet. And all of us have an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody. And so here he's prophesying because he realized that judgment is coming. And just like Micah can look and see that judgment is coming, we ought to have the same type of eye and realize that judgment is coming on this nation. Because we have neglected the things that are important to God. And that is the soul of every man, woman, boy, and girl. We have been given a mission and we are supposed to carry out the mission in which the master has given us. He's already empowered us. He's given us the authority. And we have to just execute what God has already given us. 
Listen, listen, Micah, 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 this is, this is interesting because Micah was a country boy. He grew up in a rural area, but God has given him insight into the city of Jerusalem. And so he's speaking from a country perspective. If anybody know anything about being raised in the country, there's really nothing handed to you. You pretty much work for everything that you get. And understand the fact that, that, that we, we, we need to take this opportunity to teach our children that, hey, listen, nothing comes easy in this world. You need to understand that it requires some work on your behalf. But, but I think that, 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 that we've raised children to have this entitlement. Like folk owe them something. And I begin to ask, where did we get that? Where did they get that from? They got it from us. Because we have this entitled spirit that God owes us something. It's a shame that God has to sit and wait for us to get ourselves together. God wants to do something, but you ain't ready yet. I need to pray about this. Well, if God has told you to do it, what do you need to pray about? If you see it needs to be done, then what are you waiting on? God, God, God shouldn't have to tell you every little detail. That's what faith is for. People have a problem with having faith and trust in God. I mean, really, why would they trust God? God has blessed them. Their pockets are swelling. They're doing good. But what about the lowly folk? It really should have pricked their hearts. It really should have brought them to a place of submitting themselves to God. Really should have brought them to a place of, of, of saying, hey, listen, I've got more than enough. Let, let, let me reach out and help somebody. But, but why is it that the more we get, the more we want? It's like when you watch your bank account climbing, the more it climbs, the more you want it to climb. The more you keep, you keep stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking, and folk are starving right around your neighborhood. How, 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 how much of it are you withholding from God? That, that, that's what it really starts with. If you can't give something to God, you certainly ain't going to give nothing to nobody else. This, this, is, this is where we get our training at. This is how you train to give, is in church. Because the reality of it is that all of us were born selfish. We had to be taught how to share. Sharing is caring. That's one of the tools we use to teach my granddaughter. 
Because she came out selfish. But when she come to Papa and I got something she wants, she said, Papa, sharing is caring. <laughs> I said, you're right, baby. Here you go. <laughs> but we have to learn these things. And understand, you're never too old to learn. One of the greatest blessings and the, one of the greatest gifts that God can give you is the gift of giving. Because I believe that every Christian should be a giver. And the reason why every Christian should be a giver because Christ gave his best for us. He gave his very life of pain, of agony, of being nailed to a cross, of giving his life for us. And how dare we not give and demonstrate what Christ did for us? That's a sad reality. This nation of Judah was in a bad place. But God sent the Syrian army to come in and invade them. To really give them a wake-up call. And here's the reality of the whole thing is that when the Assyrians came in, their money meant nothing. They could not buy their ways out of this. Because this was a judgment that was coming from God. This was a judgment because of their sinfulness. Because they would not listen to God. And understand this, that, that, that God wanted the best for Judah. He wanted the best for Israel. That's why he chose them. But they did not meet the requirements in which God had set for them. And so he had to send in the enemy. Much in the same way in your life. You need to understand that God wants the best for you. There's so much that God wants to bless you with. But we've got to position ourselves. We need to make sure that we're giving God what he requires. And so in this sixth chapter, God calls the nation of Judah on the carpet. And he opens up this, this text in, in the first verse. He, he, and he said, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up and plead my case before the mountains and let the hills hear what you have to say. In other words, he said, now, I, I want you to shout it that even the mountains and the hills will be able to hear this. God is not whispering to them anymore. It's not going to be so, 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 so smooth message that God wants them to get. But here God gives them an opportunity to answer for their actions. Verse 2, he says, Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, ye everlasting foundations, for the Lord has a case against his people. And he is lodging a charge Against Israel. Understand that they, 
This nation has just caught a case. There's an accusation. And it's one thing to catch a case down here on earth. But Lord Jesus, when you catch a case with God, when God has room to, to accuse you of something, you have done something wrong. And God calls them on the carpet. Listen here, but thank God that he called them on the carpet. Thank God that God calls you on the carpet because what that really saying is, God, I'm, I'm giving you a second chance to get it right. Now, now you know what's wrong. You know what you've done. I'm going to give you this opportunity to get it right. And so he calls them on the carpet. He begins to, 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 to plead his case. He said, my people, what have I done to you? Man, what kind of God is that? He's asking them, what did I do to you to, to make you act in this kind of manner? He said, he said, he said how, how I have burdened you, answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. That's number one. You were in bondage, you were in sin. And I brought you up out of it. Because that's what Egypt represents. It represents our own nature. God brought you out of sin. He forgave you for all your sin. What did I do against you? He said, and I redeemed you. God has redeemed us. He's given us what we could not get on our own. He said, but what did I, what did I do to you? I've been nothing but good to you. I saved you, I redeemed you, I healed you, I blessed you. What else can I do for you? He goes on. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt. I gave you leadership. I gave you Moses. I gave you Aaron. I gave you Mary. I gave you good leadership. And what did you do with it? Well, lo and behold, they forgot about it. They pushed it to the back burner. They were too busy for these things. Verse 5, he says, but my people remember what Balak, the king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, the son of Bear, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. He said, listen, remember. Because Barak was the king of the Moabs. And he had summoned Balaam to come and curse them. But understand that God wouldn't let him curse them. God said, yeah, you go to Balak. But you speak what I tell you to speak. And even in the midst of this, God said, instead of cursing them, I want you to bless them. Brothers and sisters, there's sometimes that we don't deserve the blessings of God, but he gives them to us anyhow. He blesses us with them anyhow. So now you've heard your case. You, you've been charged. You've been formally charged. What is your response? And so the people speak. Listen to what they said. In verse number six, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with calf of a year old, 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of ram, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sin and my soul? What God is saying is that I ain't interested in none of that. He said, he said, listen here, you stop trying to bring me these little trinkets. You, 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 you stop trying to bring me these little novelties. I'm going to lay it down to you. This is what I want. And we see the acts of a loving and a compassionate God. Because God could have got rigid on him and restated the Ten Commandments here, but he didn't. Because God realized that there's something deeper than the Ten Commandments. That there's a power that's able to change you from the inside out. And not just these external trinkets that they were trying to offer God. Listen here. Anybody could bring before God 10,000 uh, rivers of olive oil. Anybody could bring them a sacrifice, a, 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 sacrifice, a burnt offering. Anybody could be the fruits of their labor. And yes, even their firstborn. But God wants to get deeper. He wants something that's going to change them from the inside out. Here, here, here he said, that I, I, want, I want something that's going to last. You see, because most folk leave out of church and they forget about everything that they did here at church. But if you got something down on the inside, If you get it down on the inside, you can't leave here the same way you came in here. You won't leave here the same way you came in here. You, you, you have a case of, I, I can't help it. I can't help but tell them about the goodness of Jesus Christ. I can't help to tell about how he saved my wretched soul. I can't help but tell how he healed my body. I can't help but tell of the goodness. But it starts what's on the inside. And it manifests itself on the outside. You know, this is when you, you walk around with a glow about yourself. You, you, you walk around and, and people be asking about the hope that lies within you. And that's your opportunity to tell them it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm no good on my own. But it's the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, he said I don't want any of that. He, you know, God, God, God is requiring instead of Ten Commandments, he gives them three things that he requires of them. Now understand that this word acquire in the, in the Hebrew actually means not just to uh, re require, but it means to demand. This is what God, this is what I'm demanding from you. This is not optional. If, if you really want to experience the forgiveness of God and the deliverance of God, you must come through this route. Here, here, here we say he wants them to act to love and to walk. To act, to love, and to walk. Now understand that all of these work together. You can't act right 
if you ain't loving. And you and you can't you can't walk right if you ain't loving. You can't you can't do right if you don't love folk. And first and foremost, love God. Because I'm convinced you can't love others until you learn how to love God. You see, because when you, we begin to love God like he deserves to be loved, it compels us to love other folk. It's contagious. It's reciprocal. Can't come into the presence of a holy and a righteous God, a loving and a forgiving God, a faithful God, and not be changed by it. You want everybody to experience this love. You want everybody to see the humility in which God has given you. And so here he says that the, that the first thing he says, he, want, he wants them to act justly. What, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to act justly? Justly is really God's justice and his righteousness. And what, what this look at? This looks like God is right in everything that he does. There's never a time that he's outside of the realm of his justice and his righteousness. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about, it says that, that he is holy, holy, holy. Now understand, we need to understand what this means. What this means is that, 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 that this is perhaps God's greatest attribute is his holiness. And it's his holiness that separates him from his creation. He is far above anything that he created. It's not even, we can't even relate the two of how holy God really is. And this is what he's asking us to do. That we're to exemplify and show the same attributes that he shows. It's about us having integrity. It's about us standing firm on the word of God. That's what this is really about. These people had strayed so far away from God. That justice was so far on the back burner, you couldn't even see it anymore. And this is compelling the people to return to this. And my appeal to the church, and I'm talking about the universal church, is that we get back into the scripture, into what the Bible says. And that we understand that the, the, the Bible is God's righteous and justice word. If we stick in the Bible, if we stay in the Bible, let me calm down. I'm sorry. If we get in the word. <laughs> If we stick in, in God's word, God, listen, God has given us his word. And his word is to direct us and to guide us. It's what lets us know what's right and what's wrong in this world. And it's not just our opinion. It's what God's word says. Because if it was me, it'd probably be completely different. But I thank God for his word. And I thank God for calling me to a commitment to his word. Listen here, I don't care what any other church is doing. I, I, I was asked in Sunday, I mean, in Bible study about why other churches do it. I said, I don't know. I, right now, I'm concerned about Macedonia Baptist Church. 
I want to make sure we write. I want to make sure that we're walking in this, this justly, walking justly before God. So we're to walk with integrity and in right standing. And listen here, the only way that you can do that is that you get into God's word, that you understand God's word, that some kind of way you get in somebody's Bible study. There's so many resources out there for you to get Bible study. There is. If you can't make it to our Wednesday Bible study, that's why I push it so much, because that's where we slow it down at. That's why we rightly divide the word of truth. And all of us need this. I need Bible study all the time. Even as a preacher and a pastor, I still need Bible study. I still need my own time with the Lord and learning from him and getting from him and receiving from him. Why? That I might act justly. That I might conduct myself in a manner which God can be pleased with it. I told you, I told you, it's about character building, building Christian character. That's what this whole justly thing is about. Not necessarily what you look like in here, but what do you look like on your job? What, what do you look like in your community, in your neighborhood, on your street? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about treating people fairly. He's talking about these wealthy people who had oppressed the poor to do right by them. Even Zacchaeus knew that. When, when, when Jesus came to sit at his table and to eat with him, Zac, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to return unto those who I took it from by fourfold. He understood the law and he understood what was required of him. So the first thing is to, to act justly, have some integrity. The second thing that he says is that he wanted them to do was to love mercy. Now understand that in the Hebrew, that word for mercy can be better translated into loving kindness or to show kindness to people. And whether you know it or not, there's a whole lot of Christian folk that have a difficulty with showing kindness. I've never seen so many rude Christians in my life. Mean-spirited Christians. You say, but man, you mean. And God wants to work on that. There's no reason for you being saved and experiencing all that God has done for you, and you just frowned up all the time. You never really show a Christian smile. There's really no delightfulness about you. I mean, it's almost like you want to just keep people at bay. Don't, 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 don't get too close. We're, 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 we're to befriend all. That's how, that's how you win this world. You, you, you don't win them by condemning them by being mean to them. You win them, as I spoke with Reverend Register by how you love them. That's what it really comes down to. Why don't you check your loving kindness? 
Ask yourself, when's the last time I've done something selflessly for somebody? When's the last time I've given an encouraging word to somebody? When is the last time you said, well, hey, listen, let me, tell you, let me take you out to lunch. Let, 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 let me be a blessing to you. Let me show you the kindness in which Christ showed me. Because that's really what this is about. This is about us mimicking Christ, being conformed into the image of Christ. That's what, that's, that's what this is really about. But these people had strayed so far away from God. They were stuck on themselves. And they didn't care who they stepped on. They would lie, steal, and cheat to get to where they wanted to be. And now he's calling them to a place of compassion. To have mercy on these people. To show each other mercy. Jesus said it like this in the fifth chapter. He said, blessed are the merciful. So, for they shall obtain mercy. And what that tells me is that a lot of times, we want folk to be merciful to us. But when it comes time for us to show mercy. Ah. Come on, be honest with yourself. I, I, I've had to examine myself. I've had to ex examine my motives. And I realized that if I want God to show me mercy, I got to be willing to extend it. And see, there's a cost associated with showing mercy. Because in mercy comes forgiveness. In other words, I'm not going to hold it to your account. I'm, not gonna, I'm no longer going to charge it to your account. Your debt has been paid. I'm showing mercy. What, what, what I really need to do is have you locked up and thrown in jail, but yet I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you some mercy. And we're to love this. This is what God requires. That we love mercy. But then here's the other one right here. Here's the other one. He said that we walk humbly before the Lord our God. And understand that, 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 that a puffed up Christian, you'll find nowhere in the Bible. Many of us, many of, many of us are, have been caught in the trap of trying to be humble. We focus so much on being humble that we become prideful in being humble. I mean, you, you, you've heard it before, right? You heard it. You know, well, I'm the most humblest person you ever, you ever meet. Um, I guess not. The, 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 the saying is said, the moment that you realize how humble you are, you've just ceased from being humble. humble humbling is reducing oneself. It's not... It's not thinking less of ourselves, but it's prioritizing people above us. It's keeping our same position, but understand that we're only in this position by the grace of God. 
that there's absolutely nothing that you did, or at least you think you did, to get to where you are this morning. I know that you think you're here. I know that you went to school, you got your degree, you got a good job, you, you, you bought a nice house, you got a good car and all that stuff, nice fine clothes. But you didn't get there by yourself. You, you, you didn't get there on your own. It was by the grace of God. It was the favor of God that fell upon you. And the only reason why the favor of God falls on you because you've aligned yourself with God. And if you're going to align yourself with God, you must humble yourself. Even Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. So if Jesus humbled himself, who do we think we are? Walking around all puffed up and, and proud about what you're doing. No, listen here. Ain't, ain't nothing, ain't nothing you know, good about you or, or me. And the quicker you learn that, the quicker you can walk in humility. Listen here, this word walk actually denotes the type of lifestyle that you need to be living. You, you, you can't just swallow a humble pill when you want to. We, we, we all should aspire to walk humbly before the Lord. To realize that, that, that God, if you didn't give it to me, I wouldn't have it. If, if God did not give me the words to speak this morning, I'd just be a mute person up here standing before you. It's God that gave it to me. And I can't take credit for any of it. Because I realize that I'm absolutely nothing without him. Judah had gotten puffed up. They got to a place to really where they started thinking it was really about them. Actually, they had begun to take the place of God. Because they felt like they could sustain themselves. But in all of the money that they had, all of the wealth that they had, they could not buy their next breath. They, they, they could not pay for the warm blood that ran through their veins. They couldn't pay for the very meat that God supplied them with to eat. Because God created all things. He created everything. But there are some folk that think that they're, they're, they're doing it on their own. You, you, you think you're getting by by your own devices, and your own skill set. But understand that you will come to a tragic end just like these people here did. Because even though God held off the Assyrian army. They did invade them. They did ravage them. But they did not take them into bondage. That came at the hands of the Babylonians. And God will send them into bondage for their sinfulness. The message this morning is to repent. 
and give God what he requires of you. That is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord thy God. Why? Because Jesus demonstrated that for us. He showed us how to walk before the Lord. He told us how to be obedient unto the Father. He came down through 42 generations, was born of a virgin that he might be able to demonstrate, to show us how to walk before the Lord. He taught us the ways of God. He showed us the ways of God. He showed us how to love properly. Love, yes, even unto death. For God gave his only son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus showed us how to walk righteously, how to walk justly. But he also showed us how to have mercy in what he did for us. He showed us how to be humble and to humble himself unto the form of a servant. And he gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. He stretched out his hands on an old rugged cross. They nailed him in his hands and nailed him in his feet. Put a crown of thorns on his head. And the record declared that he died on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood for you. Shed it for me. They took him down, put him in a bald man's tomb. He stayed there Friday, all day Saturday, all Saturday night. But early on Sunday morning, he rose victorious. Conquering sin, death, and the grave for us. And because he rose again, I'm going to rise again too. I don't worry about dying because I know that there is a resurrection. And I know that he's going to raise me up. I've got a home in his kingdom. He's building my mansion for me right now. And I just can't, I can't wait to get there. But until then, I'll occupy. I'll be here. I'll do what he's told me to do. I'll continue to preach his word. And I'm praying that you would do the same thing. Give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And live justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly before the Lord thy God. That's what God requires of you. That's what he requires of us. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. door to the church is open. You can come now. You can come now. I am redeemed. Is there one? Ball.